Well, I got a long mess up. I'm not going to talk long, but I have a long subject uh, today. And so you'll want the notes, I think, because it's a little more detailed than I usually do. Uh, Blaine and Fred, if you'd be uh, the note runners for us, that would be a blessing as we navigate our way through today's talk. Uh, I'm talking at this season about things we need to stop, start, and continue. Things we need to stop, start, and continue. As we have this conversation, uh, it dawns on me that there are three different views of salvation, and I would like to work my way through those views briefly so that you can see why I'm suggesting that there are things that you need to start, stop, and continue in relationship to your eternal life. And... uh, I, uh, great Christians in all three uh, views, but they're very, very different. And I think it's worth our consideration. Uh, we are seeking the guidance of the Lord regarding those things we should start, stop, or continue. And in this way, I think we will create two categories. Uh, category one is temporary. Temporary. There are certain things in our lives that we need to start, stop, and continue that are temporary, and secondly, is eternal. I was thinking permanent, temporary and permanent are kind of good words to go together, but I'm not really interested in permanent. I'm interested in things that impact your eternity, and uh, I, I have a passion. I was weeping. I don't weep very often, but last night I was weeping as I felt the Lord say, there are millions of people in American churches that think they're saved, but they're lost. And I'm targeting, well, this is a church, so I'm targeting those in this room today that uh, have things in your life that you need to start, stop, or continue that can impact your eternity. Not just uh, uh, a temporary, but temporary is good. Uh, uh, Every one of us are not perfect, so we have behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes that we should start, stop, or continue. And uh, since we're not perfect, we have things that we should start, stop, and et- that are temporary and eternal. So I'll never forget Pastor Shineman. Uh Pastor Shineman had serious heart trouble several times. And so he made a vow and he kept it. He never came to work until he walked an hour. And he usually walked an hour at the Northway Mall. That was usually where he walked. Inside the mall, they opened it for walkers. And and so he would say to me, Kent, the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. You don't need to emphasize the little. (laughs) And uh, he said bodily exercise profiteth little. Well... Uh, how many of y'all have like New Year's bodily exercise on your on your list? Y'all working out more? I saw y'all at Planet Fitness. Missed y'all last year, but glad you were there this week. Anyways, uh, that that's important. Don't downplay that. Uh, if your doctor, uh, I'm a doctor guy. If uh, if your doctor said, I try everything my doctor tells me to do, I try to do. I try to be obedient uh, because I figure the body is important and it is it is profitable for temporary things. It, it's, uh, it's very, very profitable. Uh, but the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, rather train yourself for godliness. 
That's a million-dollar question right there, a sentence. Why? Because bodily exercise is temporary, but uh, godliness is eternal. And so I think about this, and and I'm going to mess just a little bit with our life choices. I think about this when parents continue to take their kids out of God's house for sports. That's great, sort of, except sports are temporary, and the household of faith is eternal. And, uh, and it seems that sometimes the pressure on us is to emphasize the temporary above the eternal. Uh, for me, for example, uh, when I, I want to study and pray and a football game I want to watch is on. And I have to struggle. You know, I guess in a lot of cities, when their teams are playing, they cancel church or change the church schedule. Uh, to I get it. But at the same time, for me, I need to train myself in godliness more than I need to train myself in watching the Seahawks beat the Eagles today. I got amen. Was that for training myself or for the Seahawks? I don't know. Uh, so the deal is, we call it in another way, the tyranny of the urgent. That is a little pamphlet that's only about maybe 30 pages long. Uh, It's worth a million dollars. Just maybe Google it. Tyranny of the urgent. Uh, It means that we don't do what's important oftentimes because we do what's urgent. And uh, uh, I've noticed in my pastoral ministry... I'll lay out my schedule, and my schedule will be whatever it is, and uh, then somebody will have a minor urgent thing, and they really expect me to drop my important planned work for their minor emergency. And so I have a little thing that says, uh, failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. Do you see what I'm saying? The tyranny of the urgent. Well, I would call this the tyranny of the temporary. The tyranny of the temporary. And, and we, uh, we want to be able to say, okay, temporary is fun. Temporary is enticing. Temporary is awesome. But it doesn't carry the value of working on eternal things. For example, the Bible says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So if I can spend my life Training in godliness, the Bible says, that is valuable in every way. As it holds promise for the present life. So godliness holds promise for the present life. And also for the life to come. In other words, bodily training holds promise for the present life. But godliness training, excuse me, godliness training holds promise for the present life. And the life to come. And so it has this great value that is added to our lives. So I'm requesting that you continue to take action on the temporary things in your life. Uh, uh, my deal right now is I'm supposed to get my uh, LDL down. My, the way I memorize it is L stands for lousy. All right? So, uh, uh, and that's really hard for me because I eat a high-fat diet. And, and uh, yet I want to work on the temporary. You know what's funny? Is when temporary is about to end, you wish you would have spent more time on it. 
you know? You wish you would have spent more. So take care of the temporary. And, uh, but that's not the purpose of the talk today. The purpose of the talk is to encourage you to work out tomorrow, to do your exercise, to eat right, uh, to uh, continue doing all the stuff you do. Today's message is designed to help us take action on starting, stopping, and continuing things that impact our eternity. This is a big deal. Uh, eternity is uh, so much more prolific than our present existence, it's hard to measure. I heard about one youth pastor. He came in early and he took a string and he ran it or a rope or something. And he ran it from wall to wall, back and forth like this, hundreds of times in the room. It was just like almost a web of string. He said, students, this is time. And he put a little mark on the string, just one little mark on the string. He said, that's our life now. And the rest of the string is only representative of eternity. Linfield Crowder would say in every message, eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity and what will you do with Jesus? One of the greatest experiences of my Linfield Crowder life, uh, when he gave us his library, I went down to Idaho to pick up the library. <laughs> it was like it took a, a semi to get 40-something thousand volumes. But he was going through his books, kind of emotional, giving them to Muldoon Assembly. And uh, we got to one shelf. It was about this wide and about five or six feet high. He said, this is my hymn book collection. And uh, he gave us his hymn book collection. He goes, well, let me show you one. And he opened up a hymn book, and he turned to a page, and it was a song, Eternity, Eternity, Where Will You Spend Eternity? I didn't know it was a song. He said, Kent, when I was young, I was singing this song, and the Lord told me this would be my life message. So eternity, eternity, where will you spend eternity? Well, there's three different views about salvation in relationship to eternity that I like to quickly cover, and I, I'm not a scholar on any of them. So I'm not claiming to represent the deep theology, but the general idea of the talk. In the first category in your notes in the table, this belief is that God gives faith to everyone for salvation. So God gives everyone faith that can be placed in Jesus for salvation. This faith is placed in Jesus for salvation through works. Sorry about our sound system there. It, uh, um, we have all these experts working on it, all right, all week long. Uh, the faith is placed in Jesus for salvation through any number of actions. The first one is water baptism. Uh, the second one, because you're baptized, you are now able to receive Holy Communion. And then often penance is included. Uh, this would be called uh, baptismal regeneration if you're a theologian. But uh, when you go to a funeral... With this kind of belief system, they'll say, you know what, praise God, he was baptized. And because he's baptized, he's saved. This view believes that faith in Jesus must be continual with repentance of sin that leads you to the sacraments. Okay, so uh, uh, just recently some political candidate, I don't remember who, uh, went to Mass and the priest did not give him communion. 
Uh, I don't remember, you probably know that story, but it was like the last month or so, uh, this uh, uh, presidential candidate went to Mass and they refused him communion. That in this belief system is the same thing as saying you aren't saved. Because to be saved in this system is to come to the sacraments. And to be baptized allows you to come to the Holy Communion. And in that way, you must continually be a person of faith by continually coming to the sacraments. And so, this is a view that many have. Uh, Unconfessed sin separates me from the sacraments. So in this view, there's two kinds of sin. There's, uh, what, menial sins and mortal sins. And uh, the reason that guy was not given communion is because he uh, supports the killing of babies in the womb, which is considered a mortal sin. It's considered a sin that only God's specific action can heal and forgive in this system. So you need to stay current in your faith in this system. So in this system, what I start, stop, and continue evidences that I am continuing in faith and has significant impact on eternity. So in this system, the first column would agree with me that your eternity depends on you starting, stopping, and continuing some stuff. This is not my system. Uh, I put my name in the notes, meaning this is what I'm saying. I can't live with the idea that salvation is not by faith alone in Christ alone. And this category says that salvation is by faith in Christ that leads you to good works. And without the good work, you're not saved. Okay? The middle column is another one that's common. And it's the most common in America today because these authors dominate the the airwaves and they dominate the sales of books. And this one is really hard for me to handle, and so you have to pray for me to have grace, all right? Here it is. God gives faith to some people for salvation. Not to everybody. Only to some. God gives faith to some people. For salvation. It is predetermined by God that only a select group will be given faith. And placing that faith in Christ alone is a response to the salvation God predetermined. So, uh, I, if you're not a theologian, you probably don't know. We, we get along. All of these get along, basically. We get along. So, one of my buddies, uh, Chris English, actually, he was the principal of our school. Uh, one day, I, I spoke his ordination. And at his ordination, they prayed for, uh, what did they pray for? They prayed for the lost children of the Lord. I said, what is a lost child of the Lord? Oh, he said, it's all the people God saved that don't know it yet. The idea being that before time began, God chose some people for salvation, and those people cannot resist salvation. It's irresistible grace. And because God chose you for salvation, it is predetermined that you will be saved. So faith in Jesus is a one-time act. You do this one time. You place your faith in Jesus. Why? Because you're saved by God's choice, not by your action, not by God's uh, choice. You're saved entirely by God's choice. Since you are saved by God's action, 
Repentance does not lead to salvation. Repentance is a response to the salvation that God already had for you and gave to you. So because you're saved by God's action alone, unconfessed sin is not related to salvation. Uh, Do you know the guy who holds this view that speaks here, probably our most popular speaker? Who is it? R.T. Kendall. He has a Ph.D. in this. And we go round and round because it's a lot of fun for theologians to do this. Uh, he said to me, he said, he said, Kent, I know you want me to say it, so I'm going to say it. David was saved by God's choice, not by David's. So if David died in bed with Bathsheba, he was saved. Because sin does not impact your salvation. God's choice impacts your salvation. David would lose his reward, but he wouldn't lose his salvation. Because you're saved by God's grace alone, unconfessed sin isn't related to salvation. This is why I think, in part, millions of people think they're saved with consistent, unconfessed sin in their lives. So what I start, stop, and continue has little impact upon eternity. What I can't live with, this is me again, what I can't live with is the idea that God intentionally creates people that he doesn't love and predestines them to hell without the option of being saved. To me, it makes God out to be a tyrant and impossible to say God is good. Because if you are irresistibly saved by God's grace, The people that he hasn't chosen are irresistibly damned to eternity without Christ. I can't live with that. My friends can, but I can't. Say it with me. God is good. I think that, I don't don't see how that works out uh, that way. I also can't live with the notion that unconfessed sin in the non-elect sends them to hell, while unconfessed sin in the elect is forgiven by God before time ever began. So I can't track with that system. Here's a system I track with. And by the way, people in our church, uh, uh, a variety of people in our church are in each system. You don't have to believe one system to be part of the body, but I do think it matters in relationship to eternity. Here's our view. God gives faith to everyone that can be placed in Jesus for salvation. Every boy, girl, man, or woman on the planet has been given a measure of faith in our estimation. We believe that, in fact, uh, every Buddhist, every Muslim, every atheist, every Christian has been given a measure of faith that they can place in Christ for salvation. This faith is placed in Jesus for salvation by trusting in Christ alone. Christ alone. So here's the saying, faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone, accomplished by God and requires us to put our faith in Jesus. So uh, this isn't a friend of mine, but it's a friend of a friend of mine. He said, uh, let's use R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall came an inch from getting fired from one of the most famous churches in the world, Westminster Chapel in London, England. Uh, I mean, it was amazing, the pedigree of pastors there. 
and he came within a hair's breadth of being fired because he gave an altar call. Now, why would you get fired for giving an altar call? Because people don't choose God. God chooses people in that view. Why do we give an altar call? Because God has already chosen you, and he's asking you to put your faith in him. The faith that he gave you. Faith, in one view, is considered a work. For us, faith is not a work. Faith is a human capacity given to us by God, and our faith is in the work of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, it's uh, the idea being that it's by faith alone in Christ alone, and we put our faith there. Well, if I continue in unconfessed sin, there's evidence that I'm no longer in the faith alone. You see how it works for us. Faith in Jesus must be continual. To say, uh, yeah, you know what? I gave my heart to Christ when I was eight years old in Barrow, Alaska. Now I am practicing uh, sexual sin. I'm murdering people and killing people. That is evidence that my faith is not continuing. So in our school of thought, we insist that we stay continuing in our faith. Unconfessed sin is evidence that you are no longer living in faith alone, in Christ alone. This is why we're called holiness people. And uh, like that first category, Orthodox or Catholic or that, that, that first column, they sort of make fun of us. Oh, you're one of those holiness people that, that think that uh, in a sense, uh, uh, the other one, you think that your behavior somehow influences your eternity. Yeah, we do. We really do believe that. Uh, what I start, stop, and continue evidences if I'm continuing in faith and has significant impact upon eternity. So I'm in a series, uh, two sermon series. Next week is a whole new deal. I'm in a two sermon series saying there's some stuff we need to start, stop, and continue because it has eternal impact in our lives. I can live with this faith alone in Christ alone as evidence of confessing my sin and walking in righteousness. The danger of our view is that we drift into viewing repentance as our work. And that our repentance is something we do. Then we think we're saved by works. We can't go there. Where does your repentance come from? It comes from faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's how we get to where we land in this conversation. And so, uh, it happens quite regularly, especially uh, a certain segment of Christianity refuses to give up sin. Uh, and I think that is a, a, an important part of the equation, is continuing in sin. I don't think that the Bible teaches if you fall that you aren't saved. I do think the Bible teaches if you continue in a known sin that God has uh, uh, written in his word, if you continue, then I think you aren't saved. So, for example, the Bible says a list of things, and it says, such shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The right column, my view, is you do not go into the kingdom of God. You don't inherit the kingdom of God. R.T. Kendall's view is you inherit the kingdom of God, but you don't get your inheritance in the kingdom. 
So I say, RT, so in heaven, how are you going to know, okay, this guy got a reward, this guy didn't. So this guy was uh, living in sin and lie. He was a, he was a, a, and they came up with a word for this because they needed to kind of shore up their theology, a carnal Christian, right? I don't know that those actually go together. Uh, uh, that's like jumbo shrimp. You know what I'm saying? A carnal Christian. I'm not sure they go together. And they came up with a better theology for that. They call it this. Jesus is uh, Savior, but he's not Lord. We don't believe he can be Savior and not Lord. We believe if he's your Savior, he's your Lord. If he's your Lord, he's your Savior. It's a combo deal for us, right? And so as we think about this, uh, I think it comes to some really important teaching on our lifestyle choices, our behavior really matters to God. And uh, as I felt the need to sort of lay out uh, for our church a holiness platform for 2020, a holiness platform for 2020. But is it important? Yes. For without holiness, no man shall see God. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Well, should I, should, do I become holy? Not in myself. My faith in the righteousness of Christ enables me and empowers me to live the life of the faith. And the faith of Christ is holiness. And God gives me, he justifies me. He makes a justice de- uh, de- declaration over my life that because your faith has been placed in Jesus and you're, you're serving under that trusting of Jesus, I declare you to be righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus. But if your faith isn't in Jesus, you say, you know what, I did that 30 years ago. If your faith isn't in Jesus today, you don't have the, you don't have the right to say, I'm the righteousness of Jesus. It's a continual faith. It's a continual living out of this faith before the Lord. I want to say again, although it's controversial to some, these three categories have killed each other for 2,000 years which I don't understand how you kill your brother in Christ in love. You know what I'm saying? But uh, um, Martin Luther had a bunch of guys killed for his view, and uh, we won't go through all the people who've killed. My, my personal opinion, it's controversial, it's that there are tremendous Christians in all three groups. I think that they are intellectually honest. Uh, the other day I saw my friend Father Leo, Catholic priest, and uh, he holds to the first column strictly. I personally think he'll be the archbishop soon. Uh, a, and Father Leo is as saved as anybody I've ever met based on what I can tell. And he's in that first column. The second column would be John Piper, John MacArthur. Uh, uh, about half the Baptists uh, are in this column and about half the Baptists aren't. Uh, so like uh, John Piper is Baptist and uh, he would be in the middle column. Andy Stanley is Baptist and he'd be in the third column. And if you want to see something interesting, uh, you might want to watch a video by Andy Stanley called Why the Middle Column uh, Causes Atheism. Very fascinating video. Uh, but anyways, they're great Christians in each of these. So it's not, I'm not talking about that. Unfortunately, I think there are people taking eternal risks in each of the three areas. Taking an eternal risk in each of the three areas. 
So because my beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes impact my eternity, I will start. Number one, I will practice the confession of my sins. I will practice the confession of my sins. Now, I want you to notice the first word in verse 9 of 1 John 1. What is the word? If. Say it with me. If. What does that mean? That means there are some conditions on this verse. And the condition is that today, Kent needs to confess my sins to the Lord. Today. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. If. Don't drop the if. Say, you know what? I'm forgiven. Why? Uh, What's something I did when I was nine? No. Confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful. Has God been faithful to forgive anybody's sin in the house? Yes. He's faithful. If we confess our sins. Number two, we stop. I will practice repentance. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Of the many verses on repentance, I chose this one. Because it says turn back, which is in fact the definition of repentance. So to say I repent... Uh, have you ever heard anybody say this? I repent of the sin I'm getting ready to do. Oh, yeah, I've heard it many times. Uh, will you pray for me? I'm going to sin this week, Pastor. And, I, and you probably heard this. This is the middle column. When you were baptized and you placed your faith in Christ, all your sin was forgiven. Past, present, and future. Well, not exactly. When you confess your sin, it is forgiven. If we confess our sins, repent. Is there anything in your life you need to repent of? Any behavior, any action, any hard attitude. Why? Repentance is a stopping and turning around and going the opposite direction. The word metanoia, the word repent, means to stop and turn around. In other words, it means stop that, that sin that you were confessing. So I will practice repentance. And uh, I want to I make it where repentance is beautiful. It always feels yucky. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, I'd remember my dad would be preaching, anointing the Holy Spirit in the house, and I'd know I was a sinner. I knew I had sin in my life I needed to repent of. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be, everybody will think less of me. Everybody will be, you know, whatever. Brothers and sisters, repentance is the smartest thing any of us can do. Don't be ashamed to repent. It is, a, it is that mechanism by which we now have no barriers between us and God. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Number three, continue. I will supplement my faith. I will supplement my faith. I think you're doing that. That's why I say continue. You're here today supplementing your faith. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue And with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, Randy Hurst pointed that out to me, if 
They are there, and if they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed of his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I want that. Anybody want that? I want that. One of the reasons I want it is because almost all of my childhood heroes of the faith fell. Almost every one of them. Uh, I can't tell you what happened in my heart when Jimmy Swaggart became obvious that he was living a uh, uh, kind of a double-faced life. It just, it was tough for me. Uh, I won't go through the other names, they're private. But when my dad fell, I got the feeling that if my heroes can't stand, how can I? I remember thinking, if my dad can't stay strong in the faith, how can I? Here's how I can. Be all the more diligent, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And I want that. I want that. I want to die more righteous than I've ever been in my life. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it say? An entrance into the eternal kingdom. Anybody here want entrance into the eternal kingdom? I do. There it is. In these ways, I will train myself in godliness, which is of value in every way, both in the present life and in the life to come. Why is this a great, great news? It's great news because when we come to sin, to Christ with our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Amen. People hear me say this, and sometimes they think that, well, there's no hope for me. I'm, I can't get out of this sin. Yeah, you can. The Holy Spirit will enable you. He's already given you a measure of faith. Today, if you say, God, I got something here that I can't get out of, and I'm placing my faith in Christ. You gave me a little measure of faith. Some of you, your faith might be one tiny drop. Some of you, your faith is pound. Some of us, it's just a tiny drop. You say, God, I only have a tiny drop. Here's a great line of faith of a tiny drop. God, if you really exist, if you're really there, I'm asking you to take this thing over. And you know what? He will. Amen. He will. And that faith will give you the ability to look at your life and find things and say, okay, that needs to stop. That needs to start. That needs to continue. Because in the starting, stopping, and continuing, there's eternal impact in your life. So here's why we're doing communion at the end. I'd like you to take the bread and the cup, and I'd like you to confess your sin. I'd like you to repent. And I'd like you to ask God to help you supplement your life. Whatever it is, God might be speaking to you, not me. Whatever God might be speaking to you. And we'll receive in just a a minute together, okay? There's no darkness in your eyes. There's no question in your mind. 
God Almighty. 